Got a few things I want to read to you. Some of it's familiar, but it kind of goes in the direction that I want to go. I could speak on government stuff every time we come together, but I don't think it's appropriate. I like to let you know what I think every once in a while. And I, I don't like the direction that our country is going. I believe that there's a price for us to pay for our rebellion, for our disobedience to the Lord as a nation. And I can see that God's going to be chastening this country. This is something that was given to me, but it's, it's not old. It's not new. In the year 2013, the Lord came to Noah, who was now living in America. You didn't know that. But Noah now lives in America. Once again, the earth has become wicked and overpopulated, and I see the end of all flesh before me. Build another ark and save two of every living thing along with a few good humans. He gave Noah the blueprint, saying, you have six months to build the ark before I will start the unending rain for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, you know, it's a simple little story because you know that he said, I'm not going to flood the earth again. Remember the rainbow? Well, he says, I... Six months later, the Lord looked down and saw Noah weeping in his yard, but no ark. He says, Noah, I'm about to start the rain. Where's the ark? Forgive me, Lord, that Noah, but things have changed. I needed a building permit. I've been arguing with the boat inspector about the need for a sprinkler system. Can you see that if he tried to build that ark today, what he'd have to go through? Just think about it. We sometimes think that we're really free, but you listen to some of the stuff that is really the truth about where we are in our country and why the American dream is just about impossible because of all the rules and regulations that keep you from getting to it, because you have to be rich to pay all the fees and so forth in order to get to where you want to go. Years ago, you wanted to do something, you just did it. You didn't ask the permission or approval from anybody. Well, things have changed. He says, my homeowners association claimed that I violated the neighborhood bylaws by building the ark in my backyard and exceeded the height limitations. We had to go to the local planning committee for a decision. Then the city council and the electric company demanded a shed load of money for the future costs of moving power lines and other overhead obstructions to clear the passage for the ark's move to the sea. I told him that the sea would be coming to us. <laughs> but they would hear none of it. Getting the wood was another problem. There's a ban on cutting local trees in order to save the greater, greater spotted barn owl. I tried to convince the environmentalists that I needed the wood to save the owls. But no go. When I started gathering the animals, PETA took me to court. They insisted that I was confining wild animals against their will. They argued the accommodations were too restrictive and it was cruel and inhumane to put so many animals in a confined space. Then the Environmental Protection Agency ruled that I couldn't build the ark until they conducted an environmental impact study on your proposed flood. 
I'm still trying to resolve a complaint with the Human Rights Commission on how many minorities I'm supposed to hire for my building crew. The Immigration Department is checking the visa status of most of the people who want to work. The labor unions say I can't use my sons. They insist I have to hire only union workers with art building experience. <laughs> to make matters worse, the IRS seized all my assets, claiming I'm trying to leave the country illegally with endangered species. <laughs> so forgive me, Lord, but it would take at least 10 years for me to finish this ark. Suddenly the sky is clear and the sun began to shine. And a rainbow stretched across the sky. Noah looked up in wonder and asked, You mean you're not going to destroy the world? No, says the Lord. The government beat me to it. <laughs> well, so much for that. You know, but that's about where we are. I remember in Colorado when I wanted to build a, a church. I knew nothing about what the law was. I found out. It wasn't long before I found out, man, I had to have these building permits. I didn't know what. I thought, why do you have to give me permission to build something on my own land? We bought 10 acres. That belongs to us. Who do you think you are telling us what we can build and can't build? And then we got to build it with your approval and your inspection? They said, yeah. And they did. When I got the whole thing done after it went to the building department, the planning department, and we finally got the building done, was ready to get our occupancy permit. We were so sick. Oh, so excited. The fire department shows up. And they says, you have to be tied into the fire department. I says, why? Because you have a school. And the school, for the safety and protection of those kids, I says, sir, I'm trying to keep these kids out of hell, and I'm concerned about the fire. And you won't. I said, wait a minute. What's this going to cost me? We don't know, and we don't care. But before you get an occupancy permit, you're going to have to get this thing verified by the fire department, which is us, and then we'll approve it. And by the way, you don't have a fire escape upstairs. I said, what do I want one for? In case there's a fire. I said, I could just take off the roof, and if it rains, or put it out. I didn't say that. 20,000 more dollars. That's a lot of money back then. But you'd be surprised how we almost couldn't get it done because of all the rules and regulations. And I thought, can you see those people that came across? You know, here's Daniel Boom, Davy Crockett going in these areas and selling all this, you know. Daniel Boom. He had to have a visa. And what about all those immigrants he shot? All the damage. He even built a town called Boonesboro. Remember that? When I was a kid, my biggest joy was sitting down reading about Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett. Oh, I love those stories like that. And I would picture myself, I'd dream. Man, I'm out there, I'm one of those hunters. And I read one time how Daniel Boone escaped from the Indians and ran almost 100 miles went a hundred miles to warn some settlers that the Indians were coming. Of course, everybody knows Davy Crockett. Killed him a bar when he was only three. I heard the song. But now, 
This is something that's very important, and I don't know if you heard about it or not. Even I heard this morning about a plane that went down in Los Angeles, and a couple of people were killed, and maybe 150 or 200 were injured or something like that. Seventy-two people were killed resisting gun compensation in Boston. I don't even know if you heard about it. National Guard units seeking to confiscate a cache of recently banned assault weapons were ambushed by elements of a paramilitary extremist faction. Military and law enforcement sources estimate that 72 were killed and more than 200 injured before government forces were compelled to withdraw. Speaking after the clash, Massachusetts Governor Thomas Gage declared that the extremist faction, which was made up of local citizens, had linked to the radical right-wing tax protest movement. Gage blamed the extremists for recent incidents of vandalism directly directed against internal revenue officers. The governor, who described the group's organizers as criminals, issued an executive order authorizing the summary arrest of any individual who had interfered with the government's effort to secure law and order. The military raid on the extremist arsenal followed widespread refusal by the local citizenry to turn over recently outlawed assault weapons. Gage issued a ban on military-style assault weapons and ammunition earlier in the week. This decision followed a meeting in early uh, this month between government and military leaders at which the governor authorized the forcible confiscation of illegal arms. One government official speaking on conditions of anonymity pointed out that none of these people would have been killed had the extremists obeyed the law and turned over their weapons voluntarily. Government troops initially succeeded in confiscating a large supply of outlawed weapons and ammunition. However, troops attempting to seize arms and ammunition in Lexington met with resistance from heavily armed extremists who had been tipped off regarding the government's plan. During a tense standoff in the Lexington Town Park, National Guard Colonel Francis Smith, commander of the government operations, ordered the armed group to surrender and return to their home. The impasse was broken by a single shot, which was reportedly fired by one of the right-wing extremists. Eight civilians were killed in the issuing exchange. Ironically, the local citizenry blamed government forces rather than the extremists for the civilian deaths. Before order could be restored, armed citizens from surrounding area had descended upon the guard units. Colonel Smith, finding his forces were overmatched by the armed mob, ordered a retreat. Governor Gage had called upon citizens to support the National Joint Task Force in its effort to restore law and order. The governor had demanded the surrender of those responsible for planning and leading the attack against the government troops. Samuel Adams, Paul Revere, and John Hancock, who had been identified as ringleaders of the extremist faction, remained at large. And this, fellow Americans, is how the American Revolution began, 18... Uh, April the 20th, 1775. You ever heard that? I believe that's going to happen again. Because there's enough people in this country that love this country, and uh, they might just want to keep somebody from taking it away from us. Now, I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel, chapter 3. Ezekiel, chapter 3. And I want to read a couple things to you that I believe are important. Bob McCurry that I have referred to y'all before. I have been in quite a few meetings with him over the years. I met him first about 1982. So 
So it's been um, 31 years ago. But here in the book of Ezekiel, it talks about those that were on the wall. In verse 17, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth, and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speaketh to warn the wicked from the wickedness, or from his wicked way, to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wicked way, nor from his wicked way, he shall, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Then it says pretty much the same thing about the righteous man, but it's talking about the watchman on the wall. Somebody's supposed to watch, and when the enemy gets close, you're supposed to warn. Well, believe it or not, that's what preachers are supposed to do. Preachers are supposed to keep the people aware of what's going on and how we're supposed to defend our freedoms. You see, this is how we got this country. It wasn't an accident. The founders of this country were patriots, and they were ready to fight and to defend their country. Take your Bible and turn also to the book of 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2. For years now, there have been warnings from watchmen upon the wall that our nation was storing up wrath to come based upon our blatant abominations that offend the holy God of the Bible. Very few had the courage to participate in these much-needed prophetic ministries. Much of the church, or most of the church, was content re to remain in the comfort zone of mercy ministries. The world that hates Christ will tolerate and sometimes even commend the church for feeding the poor, clothing the naked, helping to provide disaster relief in time of trouble. Many, however, will not abide prophetic ministries reminding our decadent nation that God has more disaster than our federal government has relief. Sooner or later, the government is going to run out of money. And all the disasters that are helping are simply draining our treasury dry, draining our people dry, until after a while, there will be no help at all. And government will not be able to step in and do anything. We are being chastened as a nation because we have forgotten our God of this nation. This was a nation founded upon the principles of this book, the Word of God. And little by little, we have allowed the humanist educators, the liberals, to take over our country, and we're going to pay a price for doing so. I believe the biggest mistake America ever made was giving our children to the humanist educators that educated the generation that come, and each generation got worse and worse and worse until the place now is that we're run by a bunch of kids that don't have a clue what they're doing. And we just happened to vote him into office. But here in the book of 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2, look there in verse 14. Verse 14 says, For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they pleased not God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. Now, do we have laws today that have been passed that prohibit us from witnessing 
and to speaking in the schools to the kids about the Lord, having prayer for the kids, counseling the kids from the Word of God. All that is being done. And more and more rules and regulations are being passed, and the Christian influence is being stifled until after a while. Where is the influence of God's people, of the righteous? And this is what we're talking about in Sunday school this morning in the book of Psalms in chapter 4. But you notice, little by little, it's got worse and worse and worse. And you wonder, at what point is this nation going to explode? Because I believe there's a lot of people in this country that are not going to put up with what they see coming down the pike. And I'm not saying good or bad or indifferent. I'm just saying this is what's going to happen because of the human nature. There's enough people, even lost people, want their freedom. And they can see what's being done. And they're not going to stand for it. They're not going to like it. And yes, even God's people can be hurt in the process. It's the way it goes. Take your Bible and look in the book of Leviticus in chapter 18. The book of Leviticus in chapter 18. The modern day church, for the most part, has been busy passing out a watered down version of Christianity to a people not fully convinced of their sin, who do not understand the depths of their depravity and rebellion against God and His holy commandments. In other words, the church does not seem to com comprehend that souls will never treasure the good news of Christ's salvation until they fully comprehend the bad news. That's why when we do the wallet illustration, we, the bad news and then the good news. But there's a lot of preachers throughout the country, there is no bad news. All they talk about is just good social gospel. Let's just love one another and everybody be kind. And as somebody says, Joel Olstein doesn't want to talk about sin because that makes people feel bad. and talk But I have a different opinion of all of that. And they are enslaved to sin. They have to know that. And they're lost in darkness and under the sway of the evil one and hell bound. That's why I preached a sermon not long ago. People need to know the ultimate end of life is either heaven or hell. And it doesn't matter whether or not we pave the way with good intentions and we try to make them feel good. It's not like they're in, okay, they're in intensive care and we just want to keep them comfortable until they die. Well, I'm not interested in just keeping people comfortable until they die. I want to try to win them to Christ before they die. Too many pastors and Christians, and they're seeking to be positive and encouraging, fail to realize that when the church muffles its prophetic voice, Prophetic voice means that you're telling them about the future, the end of life, what's going to happen, where are you going to spend eternity, talking about heaven, you're talking about hell, Christ is coming back someday, we're going to stand the judgment seat of Christ, the great white throne judgment, all those things is speaking with a prophetic voice. And so people have got away from that, preachers have got away from it. And because they just want to make people feel good and like them. And you can draw a crowd, but if you draw a crowd and don't give them the gospel, What's the value of the crowd? What was accomplished? Instead of the church being the salt and the light to preserve our culture and our nation, we have become the sugar of the earth. And that leads to truth decay. Some of y'all probably didn't get that. We have suffered from truth decay. Because of all the sugar, everybody tries to get out being so sweet, just so wonderful. So everybody likes me. So I'll be the most wonderful, sweetest preacher you've ever heard. And I'll make you feel good. 
thought of John Emery. <laughs> How do you feel? I feel good. How do you feel? I feel so good. Well, that's good. But we as Christians need to be honest to the truth. And don't let us get caught into truth decay. Where we no longer want truth. We want to be liked. We want to be loved. We want to start a Bible college. But I'm not interested in trimming one word of truth away in order to be liked by anyone. Because then it's not worth having something if you have to compromise something that you believe is right and that it's, it's worth it. You have to know what you believe and stand there. Once truth or moral decay sets in, however, typically it takes God's judgment to cleanse the evil. It appears America is in the throes of divine retribution. America has indeed sowed to the wind, and our nation is reaping the whirlwind. Now, God has warned Israel to avoid sexual immorality that leads to child sacrifice and the shedding of innocent blood. Is sexual immorality the acceptable lifestyle of America now, pretty much? It doesn't matter. Nobody wants to say anything about that because everybody's doing it. People are shacking up with each other and they're not married. Is that right or wrong? It's wrong. God never changed His Word. And then because of the sin, people are offering up children's sacrifice. They're sacrificing their children. They're taking their lives to cover their sin. Is that right or is that wrong? Well, that's what they were doing. And God says that he's going to vomit out the inhabitants. Look there in Leviticus chapter 18. I covered this about a week or so ago, but it was just a little small part of a Sunday school lesson. But I want you to see it one more time. Look there in verse 22. Thou shalt not lie with man. Kind, as with womankind, it is an acceptable lifestyle. It is an abomination. In verse 23, Neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down thereto. It is confusion to natural instincts of animals. It's not right, it's wicked. Number 24, defile ye not yourselves in any of these things, for in all these the nations are defiled which I cast out before you. He says the people that are in the land now, the reason I'm taking them out and giving it to you is because they're guilty of these sins. And lo and behold, here's America. God gave it to us because the people that were here before us were guilty of these sins. And I believe that God will take us out if we don't, yes, turn from our wicked ways. Look what he says here in verse 25. And the land is defiled, therefore I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it, and the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants, like the foam upon the waves of the ocean that churns it and Bones out and vomits it out and casts it upon the shore. God says, that's what I'm going to do to the land. So people say, well, it doesn't matter what those homosexuals do because it doesn't affect us. People have an abortion as long as it doesn't affect us. 
wait a minute, is this our nation? Is this where we live? Does God judge nations for their sins? Yes, He does. And when God judged the nation, don't we live here? And we will suffer right along with the rest of them. God meant for us, the Christian, to be the salt. That's the preservative of a nation. And the reason it's rotten in Washington is because there's no salt, no preservative. Many Christians have no influence. They have no power. They've lost their saltiness, and wherewithal shall it be salted? They've lost their influence. Christians are not looked upon today. We're the scourge of the earth. So he says here in verse 26, Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgment, and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your own nation, nor any stranger that sojourneth among you. For all these abominations have the men of the land done, which were before you, and the land is defiled. What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? They were an example of those that choose to live that way. Now, I believe, and whenever I witness to people, I don't care whether or not they're a murderer, homosexual, adulterer, a thief, liar. Everybody's guilty of sin. I'm not interested in their sin. I'm interested in their soul, and I want to win them to Christ. But as a nation, we're supposed to be a nation of laws. And we're to have a righteous laws in a nation. We're to have laws that protect the decency of a society. And we've gotten away from that. And now we're legislating immorality because you've heard it yourself. You can't legislate morality. Then, blessed be God, what is the Ten Commandments? It's the moral law legislated by God. And you do legislate morality of what's right and what's wrong. Based upon what the Word of God says. But anyway, I know that some of my convictions leak out once in a while. Let me read this to you. We can politicize national disasters all we want. We can turn to junk science and blame global, global warming for all these woes. But all the new and improved light bulbs in the world will not spare us from God's wrath. It is not man's energy used Causing climate change, it is man's immorality, iniquity, and abomination that defile the land and eventually dispossesses the inhabitants. That's what's wrong in America. Sin is what's wrong in America. And we are getting to where we are tolerating sin and despising righteousness. The people that do good and people are calling good evil and evil good. The Bible talks about that. And that's about where we are. So you can get in trouble simply for the reason you do right. And I've said this before. The day is coming when they're going to probably come in these doors and they're going to haul me off to jail for the simple reason that I'm going to keep talking about how that homosexuality is a sin, that it's wicked, and that abortion is wrong. I'm, see, I'm against any sin because I think all sin is wrong. But I do believe that we ought to have in a nation, we ought to have some righteous laws. And I still believe that sex outside of marriage is still wrong. And I'm going to preach it that way because that's what's in the Bible. And if God says adultery is wrong, adultery is wrong. And I can't justify it and nobody else can either. It's still what God's Word says. Let me mention this to you. There are threats of terrorism from without, moral decay rotting from within, natural disasters increasing with frequency and intensity, and a government belonging more tyrannical with each passing day. 
And for all intent and purposes, we seem to be a nation being dispossessed. How do we respond to these great challenges? Especially those of us who warned of these days for years and were not only rejected by our nation, but the church itself. One thing I know for sure is I don't want to be one of those kind that says, well, I, I told you so. But I did say that years ago. And many preachers did. But people don't care. And they vote for whoever can give them the most. Well, it's eventually you have to understand. And let me make this clear so that you really understand it. The Republican Party can exist without the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party cannot exist without the Republican Party. Because the Democratic Party must exist and only have the giveaway when they can take it away from the Republicans to give it to those that they want to give it to. Now, I'm telling you the truth. I don't care whether people like it or don't like it. I just try to be as honest as I can be. And that's why we're having the downfall in our country because everybody's got to the place to just gimme, 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 gimme. It's not going to sustain a country. And therefore, when people realize that they got to work and give it to somebody else and you listen to the news and all the thieves that we got in Washington passing laws and by the legislation of the pen robbing America, that is unconstitutional. To do the things that are being done and ruining this country, draining it dry. And understand this. There's a lot that I'm not saying. I hope maybe you can read between the lines, but whatever it is. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. In Jeremiah, just let's look at that. Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 1. And you'll notice in chapter 9 and verse 1 that he makes a statement there about how it affected him. When he saw what was happening to the nation of Israel, Babylon is coming in. He warned them nobody would listen. Even the so-called prophets of that day wouldn't listen. They mocked him, made fun, put him in a pit. And Jeremiah says, I, 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 just, I just can't say no more. I'm not going to say, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Then after a while, he said, I can't keep my mouth shut. It's burning in my bones, I have to speak. And he got in trouble. But look in verse 1, chapter 9, where he says, Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughters of my people. He was known as the weeping prophet. Because he loved his people and he loved God. But he saw that his people were wicked and what was coming down the pike. And he was a prophet telling them what's going to happen and warning the people. And nobody wants to listen. In fact, in the aftermath of God's judgment, Jeremiah penned the book of Lamentation. But I want you to see a couple of verses in the book of Lamentation. It's just to your right just a little bit. But look there in Lamentation in chapter 3. Lamentation chapter 3 is right between Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And you'll notice here in chapter 3, look in verse 22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. We may be guilty of a lot of things, and maybe even God would be justified and destroying this nation. But you and I know that 
there are some people that are righteous, that love Him, and He may, because of His mercy, He may give us a little time, and I hope just enough time till the rapture. But it may not happen. We have no clue how much we may suffer as a people before the rapture takes place. Or if the rapture will even take place in our time. I'm looking for the Lord to come at any time. But He may not come for another hundred years. I don't have a clue. I don't know when He's coming. I just know He is. And He may come before I die, which I would like that a lot better. But He makes this statement here in verse 23. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. In verse 24, the Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in the White House. Is that what it says? My hope is not in the White House. My hope is not in the Republican Party. It's not in the Democratic Party. It's not in the, uh, the Tea Party. It's not in anybody. My hope is in the Lord. And I hope that some people somewhere along the line will wake up and realize, hey, this is our country. Why are we letting them have it and destroying our freedoms, our liberties. If God should wait another hundred years, you realize some of our kids may wonder, why didn't you do something about it? You say, well, what can we do? I don't know. I just know I'm to be the preacher. I'm to be the prophet. I'm to be the voice. I'm to warn people. I'm the man sitting on the wall trying to warn people this is what's coming. Yes, some of this will be played on the radio. Some of it will be on the Internet. Well, it already is. But you never know. All that's coming down the pike. Now, what America is suffering most likely is just the beginning of our woes. We have much to account for before a holy God. My one recommendation is that we cling to the only anchor that holds in this life and the age to come. Flee to the Lord for refuge. The wisdom of God declares that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Proverbs 18.10 says, The righteous run to it and are safe. Now we don't know what's going to happen in a country, but what should Christians do when it seems like the world has fallen apart? Remember, God is not falling apart. And your hope in Him keeps you from falling apart. Regardless of all the decisions that they make, that's why if you want to save America... Get America saved. I still believe that the greatest thing we can ever do is keep winning people to Christ. Take advantage of all the opportunities that we can. Keep the radio going. Keep the internet going. And if I could and I had the money, I'd get a TV broadcast. I'd get on more radio stations. But I'm going to do everything I possibly can because I believe it's right. The reason we started Bible College is because we want to produce some pillars. Some people with some backbone. Somebody that knows truth and stand for truth. And will not cower. And if it's being suffering for the cause of Christ, even in the death, be willing to do so. You probably have heard of Romans 8, 28. For all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are called according to His purpose. You see, God has a purpose. And all things work together for good for the purpose that God has. Now, I believe there's more to it in the context because of the things that went before that and what He's talking about. But we need to be thankful to the Lord for the opportunity to live in such a time as this. Because the darker the world gets, the brighter the light ought to shine. 
In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, I'll just read this to you. Thus hope that we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Well, which entered into the veil. And there's an anchor that goes into the veil and it's anchored under. And our faith is anchored within the veil to the Lord. And we have an anchor, steadfast and sure. You know, there's a song written about that. And it's a true, I, I love the song. A man by the name of Gerhard Ford made a statement. This is, this is what he said. And I like it because it kind of reminds me of Galatians in chapter 5 and verse 11 where he says, Paul made the statement, if I preach circumcision, why am I not then not being persecuted? If that's what I'm preaching, that's what he was accused of. That he was teaching the law. Paul did. I didn't preach that. He said, if I did, then the offense of the gospel is ceased. In other words, if we were to teach that you're saved by your works, well, then you're just like all the religions of the world. You're no different from the world. Why should the world persecute you? Because that makes sense. You have to earn it. Good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. And all you got to do is just be good. But when you tell them that it's free, no works at all. That cuts against the grains of every individual because most people have a problem with pride. And it started all the way back there in the garden. And so the gospel, the truth of the gospel, is offensive to every person who's trying to earn their way to heaven. And God says, so do we change the message because we want to make it relevant to the people? No, we don't change the gospel. I believe the gospel that God gave to us is relevant regardless of what race they are, what country they are. That treasure in earthen vessels is the greatest thing anybody anywhere can ever hear and understand. That God loves them, sent His Son to pay for their sins, and if they trust Him, they can have eternal life as a free gift. But He said this, when we operate on the assumption that the gospel must constantly be trimmed so as not to give offense, to stroke the psyche rather than the, to place it under attack. It will, of course, gradually decline to the level of greeting card sentimentality. The language of sin, law, accusation, repentance, judgment, wrath, punishment, perishing, death, devil, damnation, and even the cross itself. Virtually one half of the vocabulary simply disappears. Take all of that out of your vocabulary. Take all of that out of our messages so that we don't offend anybody. And you just destroyed one half of the Bible because that's all in the Bible. And yes, all of that that God says, hey, you better straighten up. There's a God in heaven and he's not going to tolerate this. He didn't tolerate it with the nation of Israel or the nation that was before them. Or when they got over the Bible and God judged them, the Medes and the Persians, and then after them. There's no end to this. Then the Alexandrian Empire, and you've got the Roman Empire, they come and they go. And here we are. 2,000 years later, you would think we would learn by now. But for some reason, we have a hard problem learning. It has lost its theological legitimacy. 
and therefore its viability as gospel truth. If there is no bad news, there is no good news. And people are taking away the bad news because they don't want to offend people. And yet at the same time, what about God's children? Do you realize that God, even though He loves you, knows that you still sin, and that God gets angry, and that God can chasten you, maybe take you home before your time. Remember, God believes in capital punishment. That's why everybody dies. If government doesn't do it in time, God does with every individual. All have sinned, all will die, because God believes in capital punishment. This was written by A.W. Tozer. I got quite a few of his books. Writes a lot about revival in America. So far we haven't seen it. It may be right around the corner. But he says, we who preach the gospel must not think of ourselves as public relations agents sent to establish goodwill between Christ and the world. We must not imagine ourselves commissioned to make Christ acceptable to big business, the press, the world of sports, or modern education. We are not diplomats, but prophets. And our message is not a compromise, but an ultimatum. Let's say, for example, there's a lost man sitting right here. I want that lost man to know. Now, I can love him. Maybe I can hate him. But what I want is to give to the lost man an ultimatum. I don't care whether he likes me or he don't like me. Now, I know that in soul winning, you want to have a favorable impression. Try to win him to Christ. Teach him the truth. Woo him along. Win him along. So forth. But in my mind, I want him to know there's an ultimatum. If you don't trust Christ as your Savior, you are going to hell. Is that what I said, true or untrue? It is still the truth. And I don't want to soften the consequences of his rejection. I want a lost man. I want our country. I want everybody to know truth. Why do you need to trust Christ as your Savior? Why should we want people to live a godly life? Because there's a God in heaven that sees the wickedness and God will judge the nation. And us right along with it. So yes, I believe that our message is not to be a compromise. That's why we want to start a Bible college. If it's just to be like all the other Bible colleges, then we don't need to start one. Would we? If we're going to be just like all other Bible colleges, we don't need to start one. Just go to those. Unless for some reason you believe that something you have is different. Something you have is a little bit better. And I believe that it is. And I believe that it's important. One of the statements used to be made years ago about the old Florida Bible College. They're the Lone Ranger. They're the Lone Ranger. They're all alone. Nobody's quite like them. Because they were different. They were unique. And we can't make as our goal. 
We want everybody to love us. If you love truth, if you love the gospel, if you love souls, if you love the position that we take and the stand that we take, man, I want all the help I can get. But I'm not interested in my short time of life that I've got left to compromise to get anything. I'm willing to follow truth wherever truth may lead and leave the results to the Lord. If we have to compromise to get students, I don't want students. If I have to compromise to keep kids, I don't want them. I want those who want to love the Lord, want to learn God's Word and walk with God. I want to take some people and give them some backbone so they'll know how to stand against anybody and everybody if necessary. Because I believe that's what God wants. I don't know if I'm getting sidetracked or not, but I'm watching the clock just like you are. Look up here. This hand represents you and me. This wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. This, in spite of everything that I say, you may not agree with all that, but do believe this. God loves you. Hates what you do wrong, but he loves you. And if you're watching by internet, I want you to know more than anything else in the world that God loves you. He hates what you do wrong. And there are consequences. There's an ultimatum. You either believe on Christ or you will go to hell. I don't know a nicer way to say it. If I knew how, I would say it. But I don't want to not say it because I want people to see the seriousness of it. God loves us, hates our sin. For us to pay for that sin is eternal separation from God in hell. Since we have all sinned, we're all condemned. But God loves us, wants us to go to heaven. But to go to heaven, we have to be perfect, as righteous as God. And we're not perfect. We're not righteous. We are sinners. We sin. And God says you cannot save yourself. You cannot earn your way to heaven. You'll never be good enough to go to heaven when you die. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. He came into the world because he loves us. He hates our sin because it separates us from him. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. But he took our sins upon himself. And even God himself had to turn his back upon his son. Christ died in our place for our sins, came back from the dead. And God said that if you and I, if we would believe that he did it for us, he would put this payment to our account, and we get to go to heaven on what Christ did for us. I don't want to sugarcoat a lost man's position. I want him to understand it's a serious position. This is a heaven and hell issue. If this isn't important, serving God isn't important. It won't matter if I do or I don't because it's not really that important. Unless where a man spends eternity is important. And I want him to know there, there's an ultimatum to this. Do you realize that if you reject Christ as your Savior, there's a great price to pay? Also, same vein, you know Christ is your Savior? Did you realize that serving God is an important thing? It's not to be taken lightly. This is the most serious thing in the world. You're not here just to enjoy your life and do whatever you want to do with your life like it's yours. 
God gave you the right to breathe. And he can take it away just so easy. We live only by the grace of God. And so God who created us, loved us, sent his son to pay for our sins, give us eternal life. Now as a child of God, God wants you and I to serve him. He wants us to live a righteous life, not to get to heaven, but because we're going there. Is it important? It is very important, and you need to understand that because in every decision, there's, there's an ultimatum. You either can have God's blessings or God's chastisement, but you can't live as you please and get away with it. Serving God is important. Being what God wants you to be is important. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you trust Him right now? Would you believe that when Christ died, He died for you? Or if you're watching by internet, would you right now in the quietness of this moment just say, Preacher, I, I know I'm a sinner and I believe Christ died for me and I'm going to trust Him right now as my Savior. Friend, if you do, God will save you and you can know that you're going to heaven whenever you die. You that are here in the auditorium, if you've already trusted Christ as your Savior, understand the importance, the seriousness of you doing what God wants you to do with your life. If you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, if you're not sure of where you're going to go when you die, why not right now just say, Lord, I don't understand it all. I got questions and I got doubts. Friend, I want you to trust the Lord with your questions and with your doubts. Because where you spend eternity is so important. You can learn a lot of things later, but right now, going to heaven is more important. So would you just, in your own mind, say, Lord, I, I'm a sinner. And I believe you died on that cross and paid for my sins. I'm going to trust you to take me to heaven whenever I die. I don't know if I'm going to die today or 10 years from now or 20 years from now, but whenever I die, I'm trusting you to take me to heaven. And friend, God said, if you would trust him, you can know right now you're going to heaven because he guarantees he will save you from hell, and give you eternal life. Would you trust him? With heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. Is there anyone at all say, yes, that made sense to me, and preacher, I will trust Christ as my Savior, and I'd like you to pray for him. Would you slip your hand very quickly? Put it right back down. Anyone at all? Anyone at all? Our Father, we thank you so much for this time together. Lord, we know that according to your word, you say to pray for those in place of leadership, those in authority. And Father, we do pray for our president, for those in Congress, Lord, even though whether they believe or they don't believe, we know that you're able to take even the unrighteous person and utilize them to work your will. And Father, we don't know how all these things are going to come down, but we, we want to have a quiet and peaceful life. And we pray that your will to be done. We know that prayer is the most powerful thing that we have at our disposal. And so we pray to you. We're your children. We love you. And we want a place for our kids and our grandkids. We know we're not going to live here long. But, Father, we want the best for them. Help us to be wise. And thank you for each person here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.